When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning. How was your weekend? How are you feeling on what is apparently Blue Monday? And we've decided to change the programme quite a lot today. Emphasis on the strange, the unusual, the quirky, the silly. And on the good news, such as energy prices continuing to come down. The self-made millionaire from County Leash. And how to care for your puppies with pet mania. That's in just over an hour's time. And if you're the sort of person who never had time to play video games when you're younger, there's a whole revival in older 1980s and 1990s gaming. So how do you get access and which ones should you try out? Plus, Dancing with the Stars, sport over the last seven days, lots to cover between now and 12. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. So let's see what's on the front pages today. The, we'll start with the good news. Papers haven't bought into Blue Monday. The... Oh, God, where am I going to find the good news on the front pages? There is no good news on the front pages. So I'll tell you what's just in breaking news this morning. Electric Ireland, which is the country's largest energy provider, has announced price cuts of 8%. So if you're one of its 1.1 million customers, that's an average of €300 Euro in savings each. And this is the second big cut from Electric Ireland. And you have Airtricity implementing its cut in the next couple of days. And Uno Energy cutting not so long ago. So all the pressure, all the focus very much now on Bordegash and on Energia to follow suit. That's covered in many online websites, including midlands103.com today, independent.ie and others. Now... The front page story of the Irish Times, though, more than 320 children have arrived in Ireland seeking asylum unaccompanied. No parents, no adults with them. And apparently the increase in the number of children arriving alone has been unprecedented, according to the Department of Integration. The Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, says government is cognizant of this serious issue, and so they have ordered a report into the matter. Now, so when a child arrives in Ireland without any parents, without any adults or guardians, they are transferred from the Department of Integration to TUSLA, which is the Child and Family Agency. And you would wonder why these children are ending up in Ireland on their own and also where their parents are. So that's on the front of the Irish Times today. Moving then to the Irish Examiner next up, it tells us that a thousand small firms may go to the wall. That's because of the double whammy if you're in hospitality. The VAT rate has gone up from 9 to 13.5%, but also the cost of wages, of labour, increasing from the 1st of January. Minimum wage now €12.70 per hour. And 
there are other changes too with pensions, sick pay, and much of this very deserving, particularly leave if you're the victim of domestic violence, but it does add to the cost of doing business. So the forecast from the Irish Examiner is that a thousand small businesses will go to the wall and you can multiple that for the number of jobs that will be lost as a result. Don't prosecute people for minor drug use is the message from the Minister with Responsibility for Drugs, Hildegard Nocton. And she believes there is a need for a health-led approach in this country so that drug addicts can break the vicious cycle of being prosecuted because being prosecuted only lands them back in jail where the dependency compounds again. Is she right? Irish Daily Mail fears new housing developments will be targeted. So this is a reference to the immigration issue, to how former schools and nursing homes and other such buildings have been used and converted, military barracks as well in the case of Mullingar, for the purpose of housing asylum seekers. But there are new housing estates that may be uh, purposed for this and according to uh, government TDs who have spoken in confidence with the Irish Daily Mail, there will be a risk of far-right protesters or others targeting these new developments and perhaps torching them. So everybody loses there, if that's your logic. We can't shut the door. <coughs> I apologise, I became a teenager and my voice broke again. We can't shut the door on asylum seekers. That's the main story on the Irish Daily Mirror. A message from Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. Now that's a selection. As I said, nothing in the way of a smile or any good news on the front of the papers. So let's go inside. You know those people in the office who are jerks? Who are very, very competent, very good at what they do, but ultimately are nasty to their colleagues. Research now shows they reach a ceiling faster than anybody else, that while they may be promoted initially, usually upper management don't want to promote jerks because they can't bring people with them. They cannot persuade, they cannot encourage, they cannot motivate. And while you're a soldier, that may be irrelevant, but when you become a general, it really, really matters. So, interesting take in the Irish Times on that. Uh, Kilkenny Live introduces you to the man who, over the course of the New Year's weekend, consumed a record number of pints. Sean Bryan is 33 years of age. He likes the Guinness. Nothing wrong there. So he went out on New Year's weekend and over three nights downed 81 pints of the black stuff. I'm doing the sums. That's 27 pints on average per night. Am I getting those sums right? You multiply 27 by 3, that's 81. Where does he put the stuff? Now, he shared this on social media and naturally some doctors and medics are concerned. They say that sort of drinking is dangerous. 
but it's also life-limiting. Like, John, how do you get up the next day and function? And you're 33, fair enough. Your metabolism still has a little bit of fire left in it. Just wait until you're 40. You won't be able to do that. His challenge is to eventually drink 100 pints over three days. Fair enough. Did you watch Dancing with the Stars last night? No eliminations from everybody still in. That's the good news. Well, good news if you are a fan of watching, for instance, Eileen Dunn. And she started at the news desk and she then launched herself up and she performed what was a very energetic dance. And similarly, um, we saw Davy Russell try rhinestone cowboy without his regular partner. And Rory Cowan, he made a good effort of that's a more. But are they going to be there once the eliminations take place? Probably not, I would think. You're going to see David Whelan probably being up there along with Salome. He's just knocking it out of the park week in and week out. But if you have a favourite on Dancing with the Stars, please dispute any of those comments. I think you should get a job at UCD. I think we all should get a job at UCD because they will splash out on business class flights for you. They have connections with other universities across the world, for instance, in China. And they will spend €400,000 on business class flights in just six months. So figures published in the Irish Times reveal. Destinations like Singapore, like Malaysia. China is the biggest destination. And this, by the way, wasn't volunteer. This was released under the Freedom of Information Act. Why business class? Why not go economy? Ultimately, UCD is owned by you, by me, by every other taxpayer. Anyway. Stories like that just point back to excess, to a lack of discipline when it comes to the public purse. And it's very reminiscent of 2006, 2007, 2008, just before the crash. That devil-may-care attitude when it comes to taxpayers' money. Or am I just being a Grinch on this Blue Monday? The counties that have housed the majority of Ukrainian refugees highlighted in the Irish Independent today. And you might think, well, Dublin probably tops the list because it is the most populous county. But no, Kerry. Of all counties, Kerry has carried the biggest proportion of Ukrainian integration. And Leash, despite what is happening in Stradbally and the tented village, Leash is among the lowest counties to receive Ukrainian immigrants. According to this, just 0.7% of all immigrants arriving from Ukraine have been placed in leash, 462 in total. Longford is also at the bottom of the list. Kilkenny. In fact, if you take a look at the map that's published in the Irish Independent today, it's very much West Coast, Kerry, heading up towards Leitrim, and Donegal, those are the counties that have taken the most. Believe it or believe it not. If you are expecting a delivery from China, it may be delayed 
because of the events in the Suez Canal at the moment. The Houthis are still very uh, vexed by the events in Israel and are attacking not just ships that are bound to and from Israel, but there's general disruption in the Suez Canal, which is one of the busiest shipping routes in the world. And according to this very cheerful prediction in the Irish Times, 3.1% is going to be the inflation on goods as a result of this disruption. Is that real or is this just another chance to pass on extra cost to the consumer? I think we need to test that with somebody who knows a thing or two about supply chain management a little later. Anyway, finally for now, weather-wise, very cold this week, much more so than last week. Temperatures last night were down to minus four in a few parts of the Midlands and indeed right now minus one in many, many areas. And that frost and ice is going to be greeting you most mornings. So if you're up for the early commute, allow the little bit of extra time or else you will be rushing. And a cold weather alert is in place from Met Aaron, and a chance of some snowfall added to the mix tomorrow. And that snow, of course, will make driving all the more treacherous. So beware and be warned. Still to come this hour on Midlands 103, how two days of colour can change your outlook on life. And the self-made millionaire who has revolutionised the security industry. And he hails from County Leash. Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands today yeah. on 083 103. Midlands 103. Mangard Plus is Ireland's largest private security company, employing 1,300 people with a fleet of over 100 vehicles and headquartered at a state-of-the-art complex that has more screens and computers than the Starship Enterprise. And when its founder, Sean Hall, returned to his old school of Rath in County Leash, he was asked by one of the students, what is your net worth? And I think he gave a very evasive answer on that because, well, the answer is probably many, many millions. And he has vowed never to sell the company. So how did it start for him in Ballybritis once upon a time? Well, I was in court in Ballybritis from 1963 to 73. I went to school in Rat. Uh, yeah, great times, to be honest. I remember playing some football at the school and some long, you know, some long friends still today. I'm still part of the shooting club down there, the gun club. Obviously, I do stuff with the school down there still. Yeah, great memories. And what sort of a student were you? Oh, top class, top class. Um, I said this the day I was down in the school, coincidentally. I moved to Newbridge and I would have been going into fifth class. And when I moved into Newbridge, I found school very easy. Because fifth and sixth class in Newbridge was stuff that I was repeating from the time I did in a very small mm. school down the court. But no, I was an average student, when I joke about top class, yeah. And what brought you to Newbridge? Why go up the, the M7 or N7 as it was? Uh, my parents moved to Newbridge uh, and I was down to jobs at the time. My dad had worked in Borden Amona uh, down in Kilberry and he got a job in Irish Ropes in Newbridge in 73. So we just moved to Newbridge because that's where the work was, I suppose. And you were aged 11 having your first job. Where was that? Uh, McLaughlin's Garage in Newbridge. Uh, I worked as a petrol pump attendant uh, from 7 o'clock at night until probably 11, 12 at night. Uh, 25 pence an hour, £7 a week. Okay. 
gave me mother five pound of it and I kept two. I was rich. And how long did you stay with McLaughlin's? Because eventually you were the man who set up the car wash there and took all the tips. Yes, I did. I was one of the ones to benefit from all the tips at the start. Uh, I never really left. So I worked in McLaughlin's from the time I was 11 till about 16, 17, either in a full-time position or a part-time position. During that period, I had a couple of jobs in bars and stuff, and I still worked part-time in McLaughlin's at the same time. And there was farming as well, was there? Yeah, my mother and father uh, ran a vegetable stall in Newbridge, uh, but we had land in Derry Utrecht so they would grow vegetables there for the double market, such as cabbage and cauliflower, carrots, some potatoes. Uh, we would obviously harvest them, wash all the carrots, do the usual work. We would bring them to Dublin Market, whatever we weren't selling, and then we would trade that and get back fruit. Uh, so my mum ran that business in Newbridge on the main street outside Duns for a good few years. So it sounds like you weren't work shy. I wasn't allowed to be work shy. It's one of the things that came, I suppose, from my parents, that uh, it was all about work and trying to earn a few quid. Yeah. Now, only up the road from McLaughlin's is the Cadine Hotel. And back in those days, you used to go there quite a bit. I did. I used to go to Cadian Hotel. I ended up getting my first security job mm. out of Cadian Hotel. How did that happen? Well, there was a, a skirmish, and I, I assisted in the in the skirmish. And on the way out the door, the uh, head doorman said, you know, I could do with someone like you around the place. Were you interested in the job? You were recruited? I was recruited, actually. And the fellas that we had assisted to stop what they were at came to the door the following week and to meet me at the door and go, how did you get a job? I just got a job and you got barred and you're not getting in. But So of all the different things you were doing, why did security appeal most? To be honest, it was accidental. Um, so, you know, after after being in Cadeen and working as a doorman, I continued to work in nightclubs. Um, so I had given up for a few years and then I had a couple of children in 92, uh, sorry, 82 and 83. Um, and then I went back working in nightclubs and I worked in Dublin in Finglas and I worked on Abraxas, in Abraxas and O'Connor Street. I worked over in um, Temple Bar and a few other places. Mm. It wasn't Temple mm. Bar at the time, but all them places. And that was just to get money um, for, obviously, to pay the rent and feed the kids mm. and the usual stuff. I then uh, got a job with Provincial Security a couple of years later and uh, I was running some sites for them. Uh, I was acting as a security officer first and then as a contracts manager. Um, so my job was obviously get staff in, dress them, roster them, get them into work, the usual what our managers do today. And I, I just took a liking for it. Uh, and in the meantime, I had started a, a security company just to do nightclubs as a past, part-time thing for myself. But I was coming out of the nightclub one night in Newbridge, walking across the road, and somebody blew the horn of the car at me just to say hello. It wasn't anything uh, bad. And whatever way I turned around to look at them, I twisted my ankle. Went home, got into bed, got up at six o'clock next morning to go to work and I couldn't put my foot on the floor. I was out for a couple of months and during that period of time I thought, yeah, you know, maybe I could do this for myself. So I left Provincial at the time and my dad also was working in Provincial and he left. And the two of us, along with another guy called Martin Howard, who's dead now, Lord Emerson, uh, we started the company. And the first year, I think I almost lost my house mm. uh, because we only turned over 180,000. I had no money to pay a mortgage. I had an endowment mortgage with Kildare County Council and in fairness to them, they didn't take the house. They, they allowed me time to pay it. Uh, and then 98, I think we got our first decent contracts as in PWA, Pratt & Whitney Aviation. 
then we got Airinta or not uh, yeah Airinta and then we got Aer Lingus and we had Irish Times and Irish Independent so you got a cluster in the one area then yeah 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 Lufthansa Vermont was another one and that made us then once we got going it was it wasn't too bad so in 2006 or 7 licensing came in uh, with the PSA the new regulation for licensing we were turning over about six or seven million at the time and it became very evident that if you wanted to then succeed in the industry you would have to be bigger so there was another guy who was a friend of mine Bill Brown who had another security company in Dublin and we put the two companies together and we bought my mother and father's shareholding out and we renamed Caldera Security which it was then Two Man Guard Plus Mm. and the rest is history and was all of this because of good business instincts did you have good mentors where did the vision come from uh, I suppose the only mentors I really had was, was my parents and you know a good work ethic I think basically what did a lot for us was once we got one or two contracts it was word of mouth after that we didn't have salespeople, so we just did good work and got good referrals uh, other than that no no mentors mm. but you had a determination to professionalise ultimately your own business but Ideally, the industry at large, and while, yeah, the state was introducing licensing and such measures, why did you think that was important? Well, when the the state started licensing, they introduced ISO 9001, but we'd already got it. You know, we had got it for no other good reason other than to better our business. Um, You know, having been a security officer, I know that they've been badly paid in the past. Uh, Security, to a lot of people, is an unnecessary evil that they have to pay for they need it for insurance or need it to protect but they don't see much value from it and our whole idea all along has been well if we can show that the security officer is actually more valuable than just you know protecting a property mm-hmm. um, then we thought it would be a better industry and we've been working very hard at that myself and Bill and he sits in the JLC Bill sat on the board of the PSA for a long time um, and we've been constantly you know trying to get the along with a couple of others trying to get the industry to a level where it's seen now as a professional job not just something oh you leave school you become a security officer and then you get a job or maybe you retire from the guard or the soldiers or the army and then you get a job we want people to join the industry and, and for it to be professional to be honest and what's the best way into the industry these days well when you're coming into the industry now you need to do first of all your uh, level I think it's five or six training course which is quite expensive it's about five or six hundred euros and then you've got your application once you have that you've got your application then for the PSA which is about another 250 260 depending on how many disciplines you're looking for because that could be static garden DSP and control and work depends on what you're going mm. for so what we like to do now is when we get uh, employees through interview and we think they're good candidates and good prospects we provide their training free of charge and we pay for their license for them and if they stay over 12 months with us, there's no reduction, there's no deduction mm. from them. If they leave within the first 12 months, then we deduct the obviously the license because they have that license for the rest of their life to move on to another employer if that's what they want to do. So what would a career path look like in 2024 for a young person as opposed to when you started? Well, if, you, if I go back a little bit and say that there's guys here that joined us maybe six, seven, eight years ago. They joined us as security officers, they became mobile drivers, they worked in our control room and now they're contracts managers and some of them are our operation managers and some of them are our operation directors. So joining the industry now, there is obviously a, a course to be done when you come in, but then there's lots more courses available. You know, there's the IFPO courses and there's 
loads of course now if people want to do them they better themselves and uh, you know we would have some security officers on anywhere in the region of 45 50 grand a year depending mm. on what the client's requirements are so yeah it's a completely different industry than when i joined it but equally there can be challenges i know of john cusack who manages the bridge center in tullamore he's talked about antisocial behavior i'm sure in nightclubs and various other settings it's not always the most pleasant job. So apart from money, how do you try and keep people interested? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, we specialize in a lot of training. We don't do nightclubs and we don't do retail anymore. We have, you know, done courses with people for interacting with, with you know, getting abuse. And it is an abusive job and it can be very abusive because you're dealing with people who either have lots of alcohol taken, lots of drugs taken, antisocial behaviour, children under the age where, you know, the Gardaí have no control over them. And it's just a different world now. But, I mean, you know, we do a lot of training with people, mm. to tr- conflict resolution training, um, to try and get people that, they don't, worst of all, they don't take it personal, and two, that they're able to deal with the issue without getting themselves into trouble because what you don't want is people striking out and getting assault charges and all the rest. Um, so it's no longer just about good instinct, somebody who knows how to defuse a fight. There's training, there's a technique deployed to do that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we, again, as I said, we do conflict resolution training. We do, we like to say it's self-defense, but it's not. It's, you know, it's how to try and contain somebody without doing any damage to you or other people in the vicinity. And, you know, I will say the technology has come along now, so... Uh, the wearing of body cams looks like it's going to come in mm. they've started maybe talking about giving it to the Gardaí it's something we've been onto the data commissioner about for a long time uh, is you know giving the security officers some protection that when he's dealing with someone they know they're being recorded but the new modern body cams can now be you know monitoring our live station inside in the, in the, in the office so not only is that person dealing with another person there's somebody else looking at him in lifetime and can give him more support uh, they can make sure they're using the cameras, they can record what's going on. You know, It's just all about technology and you know, backing up the man where he used to just be on his own. Flesh that out a little bit more. Imagine you've the crystal ball and you're looking at the security industry in five or ten years. How else will technology shape how it evolves? Well, I suppose, unfortunately for our industry, you know, wages have to go up and then, you know, the cost to the client has to go up. So you like there's never ever a situation where I would say that you can replace a security officer with technology, but you can definitely definitely help him to do his job. You know you can have automated opening of premises, automated locking of premises, monitoring of alarms, monitoring of CCTV. Um, you can have lone workers. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, you, technology is just a thing now. You, like no longer I think can a man stand on his own and do his own job unless he's got the backup of technology. Mm-hmm. Do you use drones? No, it's not. We haven't used drones yet, and we've avoided because we're waiting to see what licensing is going to come in around them. And you know, not much point in going off and purchasing a whole heap of drones and starting to do something, and then maybe some licensing comes around that where you you're just not able to deal with it. You mentioned uh, men very often. What about women in the security industry? Yeah, well, I shouldn't have said men, really, because I suppose we have as many women as we have. Um, really? Yeah, probably. I'd say we're at about 60, maybe 60, 40, 70, 30, somewhere around there. Um, so we had one of our contracts managers last year. Uh, she came through the industry here. She started off here uh, working in HR. And then she worked her way up through HR. And she's now a, one of our senior contracts managers or account managers. So, yeah, and to be honest with you, a lot of the time... 
a lady or a woman can defuse the situation much quicker mm. than a man. Because if it's a man giving a man abuse, you, you just get the abuse. Or if it's a woman, they're not as quick to do it. Uh, and we have some really, really excellent women here uh, really work in front of house. Really, really good people. You invest €5 million Euro every year in sponsorship. Why is that so important to you? We like to sponsor... We, yes, we do sponsor some senior teams, but what our aim is is to sponsor underage. And for us here, genuinely, it's all about trying to keep children out of, out of trouble. So I really, really believe that if you can get a child into sport and you can keep them until they're 16, 17, 18, hopefully 19, 20, they'll make friends that they have for life and you'll keep them away from trouble. You'll keep them away from the drugs, hopefully the drink, hopefully from going down the wrong road. Because I've been coaching for 10 or 12 years and I've seen kids who stay in sport do not get into trouble. Kids who go away from the sport mm. do mm. get into trouble. I mean, my own young fella is playing for St. Pat's in Dublin. He's only 16. He's playing under 17, under 20 football this year. All he wants to do is do his sport. Yeah. He's no interest in anything else. And I just think if you can do that and you keep them with a clear head, they'll do better in school, mm. they'll do better all around and they'll be in the right company. Yeah. And if you go back to maybe what my parents would have said to me years ago, you don't have to be bad, you only have to be in bad company. 28 years Mangard Plus has been in business, originally as uh, Kildara Security. What's left for you to do? My aim is to grow this business and to grow this company that no other company can compete with it in Ireland. We are now the only Irish-owned company of our size. Every other company has shareholders in America or Scotland and they're all... We're the only one that's left that's Irish. I'm growing this business for two reasons. One, I want it to be the best in the country. And the second one is it's for my children and the family. Uh, it'll never be sold, ever, ever be sold. My parents, still alive, but they were torn in their grave if anything did happen, and I sold it. Um, and when I say family, it's not just people of my name or the hall name. It's anybody who works for me is classed as family. So there isn't any difference here between a hall or any other employee. And that's genuine. People will say that to you, but that's the way it is here. Everybody mm. here is my family. Sean Hall of Mangard Security. Send us a text. 083 Powered by Lamb Brothers Hillamore. The home of Offaly's top-selling car brand, Toyota. Midlands 103. Think of the two days of colour that have, apparently, an impact on your outlook. One, Black Friday... Incredibly hectic, huge consumer occasion, drains your wallet or your purse. And then you've Blue Monday, today apparently, which is when they say our mood will be at its lowest, the most depressing day of the year. Is that really true? And what can you look forward to today to beat those blues? Well, Fanula Colgan is Development Officer with Mental Health Ireland. Morning, Fanula. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm great. Ho- hopefully not blue anyway. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think Absolutely again, not. I know well. Too you, much energy in your voice. If you get out yeah. of bed on the right side, if you see the glass is half full, if you could try and have a positive outlook, it helps at least. What are yeah, you up to today? Day. Well, essentially, Will, and thanks very much, uh, um, Offaly Local Development Company, Social Prescribing and the HSE Suicide Resource Officer, Justin Rigney and ourselves were coming together to provide uh, connect cafes. We called Come and Join Us for Conversation in Jenny's Restaurant 
and in the bridge centre, just in case anybody is feeling the blues. But the point is, and I think you just said it so well there, well, it's apparent. Like, who's to say that today is the most depressing day of the year? It's a marketing ploy, really, to encourage people to think about blue skies. It's just a concept, really. And um, because any day we mightn't be feeling well. And so what we're looking to do this morning in the Bridge Centre is to encourage people to come along, have a chat and just enjoy a free cup of tea or coffee on, on our partnership this morning, Will. Um, so that blue sky connection you mentioned, is, is it yes. really an invention of the travel industry or at least uh, to the benefit of I, the travel industry? I, I Well, I think if you kind of were to go dig deeper into it, like this is where it comes, because it's only in, in and around there for the last five, six years. But a psychologist, a British psychologist, Dr. Arnold, and I'm surprised people haven't kind of challenged him, basically, that he took into consideration a number of factors around the psychology of the so-called third Monday of January, and just said that people's levels of motivation drop and, um, you know, and maybe this is the point maybe where we have New Year's resolutions and then say, uh, give, give it a miss kind of thing. And I just think that people have built around it um, as an idea, like today is a great day to book your holiday or whatever. Um, and, mm. you know, that could be like, I, I just think it's such a negative concept really for people um, because any day can be kind of a challenging day for people every bit as much as any day can be a great day. And and that, you know, so that's why we're using the opportunity to promote the positivity of your well-being and what it is you can do to look after yourself and self-care rather than be focusing in on the whole concept of, you know, the, the Blue Monday idea. We have about 30 seconds left. So if you yes. can't make it to Jenny's Cafe in the Bridge Centre in Tullamore, half 10 this morning, leave us with a parting thought, something you can do if today yeah. is getting on top of you. Yeah, well, to believe, and it's a favourite quotation of mine, that every day may not be good, but there's some good in every day. But to see that good, you've got to be have your mind open to it, be aware. And that good might be somebody saying, hello, how are you? Or somebody saying thanks. Or you kind of doing your own little gift of kindness kind of thing. Like, every day is a good day, essentially, but there will always be challenges as well. But come and join us from between half 10 and half 12 this morning. I like in, that quote, by the way. So, yeah, it's a wonderful quote. It, it keeps me motivated as well. Yeah. Fanola Colgan of Mental Health no, Ireland, no, thank you very much for joining us. Right, and thanks for the opportunity, Well, Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. It's a Blue Monday busting programme. Idea being, let's cheer you up, even if you're not feeling in the mood. Although the sun is shining, the sky is blue, things could be worse. For instance, if you never managed to game during the 1980s and 90s, uh, grew up without consoles, without computers, surgeons in gaming in later life. And what? That's on the agenda from 10 to 11. Puppy care classes being organised. What's involved? We find out. Uh, Sport over the last seven days, only good results allowed from 20 past 11. And, I'm not sure if this qualifies as good news, it can't possibly actually, if coffee is in short supply because of the shipping crisis in the Red Sea, how will we manage? We'll be hearing more after 11. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, you can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Will, please congratulate Awfully darts 
for winning the Leinster A yesterday in Wexford. That's from Roddy Speedy Hart in Burr. Uvali Abu, he says. And another text inquires about the forthcoming local elections. Is it true that an asylum seeker coming into Ireland is entitled to vote in the local European and general election? If so, is that why the government are inviting people to come here? Asks John. So let's make a distinction there. An asylum seeker, anybody who is resident in Ireland, is allowed to vote in the local elections. However, that does not apply to the general election. So, yes, they can, anybody who lives in Ireland can decide who goes on your local council, but they cannot decide who represents you in Dáil Éireann. Does a local council have much power, much influence over migration policy? Arguably not. But I'll let you make up your mind whether that is right. It has been the case, by the way, since about 20 years ago. And it's not unique to Ireland. Many European countries have a similar policy. And by the way, many texts in praise of Sean Hall, the founder of Manguard Security, who was describing his journey from Ballybritis in County Leash to a headquarters that would make the Starship Enterprise envious. The security industry has been professionalised a huge amount under his watch. And Connie in Leash says, I don't know Sean personally, but I do know his staff and they speak very highly of him and best of luck in the future. Another listener saying, Sean Hall, what a man and an attitude to life and to work. He is a great role model for young people. Speaking of role models for young people, last week marked the second anniversary of the death of Ashling Murphy. And if you didn't have an opportunity to join a very large crowd on the Grand Canal on Friday to remember her and to pay tribute to her and to stand in solidarity with her family, well, here are just some of the sounds you missed. I love you, Ashling Murphy was 23 years old at the time of her death, a primary school teacher, a musician and a loved daughter, sister and friend. She was murdered on the 12th of January 2022 while going for a run along the canal in Tullamore. A memorial site was established for her at the canal where a walk and a service were held on Friday. Over 70 people came to pay their respects to Ashling and her family. Yeah, it's... It's a sad occasion and it's a, it's a happy occasion as well, I suppose. You know, the rest of us are all here and we're able to come and, and maybe it gives us a chance to get out and get a bit of fresh air, but I don't know. But it's commemorating Ashling, who was a great girl in every respects and didn't deserve what happened to her. Uh, we're all, people are still heartbroken after the whole, carry, you know, terrible Disaster, Ross. Disaster for everybody, and especially our family, Ray, Kathleen, and and her sister and brother. So uh, we're here to remember, and we'll keep coming as long as we can. Ashley was a teacher in Duro National School. 
One of her fellow teachers, Anne-Marie Gochran, and Principal James Hogan were also in attendance. Family is part of the community or school organisation, but you lose somebody in traumatic circumstances, it's different. But you can't, nobody can prepare you for that. Where if somebody's ill, you can kind of slightly prepare. But, um, you know, the traumatic event has, has impacted the whole school. The parents, the community have been fantastic cooperation and you know, they're grieving too, but we all rally through together and uh, we have been through difficult times and, you know, there's floods of tears still coming, but we have... I know, flip that into positives and just try and keep, as she would say, you know, she was always a, she used to shine up at one and all gave us chocolate sheets, so we have to keep praising the youth for what they have, what they bring to our school. And Ashley was a great giver. She gave back to everyone. So we are inspiring our kids to continue that legacy. She's, they did it, but continued on. And I think when they saw a young, beautiful woman like her and how much so she achieved in her short 23 years, they're like, I mean, sure, let's, let's, the road is our ice, or why not try it? So, look, we'll keep the spirits going, the legacy going. Um, it can be tough, I'm not going to lie. Like, it is it's tough, sad, and the yeah. days are up and days are down. Um, this day will be always special uh, from where we are, because um, you just relive it, like, you know, but legacy is important. Her name will live, she'll always, with the caption in our school, it should be our shining light forever. And there'll be always a space at the staff room table. For look, at the trial is the trial, it had to go through, and uh, Credit to everyone that was in charge involved in it. But um, as I said, and we kind of the view, we we corporate ourselves in dignity. You know, we respected that. We um, we didn't stay quiet, but we we just cooperated. And I mean, uh, that was hard. And I suppose not the trial is over. We can take her name back to her hometown, her community, her county, and everyone else to different organisations. And really, I suppose, talk about it again. Let's tell people. Of who I remind people of what because it's 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 all about her. So um it's just that we want to remember in a, in a positive light. Yeah, there was uh, we had a slow piece and we had a reel then called Trip to Doro actually. It's a reel that was composed by a composer in Offley and related to the school we live in actually that area. So she was a fond player of that as well. So I mean music was just a, a gift she travelled the world being get music and met so many and it's people here today have travelled from far and near. Um and it just goes shows how, I suppose, what a great person she was and then the connections she made and people just respect her. So it's great support for the family too and friends and communities like us as well. Family thanked people for coming to the service and for keeping Ashling in their hearts two years later. And that report by Midlands 103's Rachel Timoney. The Midlands most listened to radio show, Midlands Today. Midlands 103. So as we try and bust Blue Monday, it was a toss-up between cuddly kittens and puppies. Puppies won in our little arm wrestle here at Midlands 103. And actually it's quite timely because with Christmas only a few weeks ago, there are many households adjusting to a new friend in their midst. And if you missed the puppy care classes organised by Pet Mania at the weekend, well, let's see, can we catch up on some of the best learnings from those? Emily Miller is Marketing Manager at Pet Mania. Morning, Emily. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm not sure if there are any figures, so just give us your own anecdotal evidence of this. Do people still buy puppies for Christmas or generally do they heed the message that a puppy isn't just for Christmas? Oh, look, I think the thing is, the reality is people get puppies all year round, uh, you know, and 
Christmas, you know, we would say, you know, a pet's not just for Christmas or a birthday or an anniversary or Saturday because Saturday is a fun thing to do. You know, if you're, if you're getting a puppy or an adult dog you're, or any pet, you have to be willing to commit to that pet's full life. And in the instance of a dog, you're looking at, you know, anything up to 15, 16 years, some longer in some cases. And, you know, regardless of the time of year that you are are getting your pet, you need to be committed to that lifetime. Um, Christmas then in its own right, you know, there's a lot of other things going on at Christmas and whatever else. But we would say, look, you know, go in into any new pet ownership with your eyes open and it's not just for that special occasion it is for life and you're not bringing a static object into your home you're bringing your family member in and it's living breathing and it needs you to look after it and care for it and um enjoy its company Mm. and all of those things for its lifetime. It's a great parenting dilemma because adults, particularly let's say older adults who might have a dog for companionship, they'll have been around the block before. They'll know what's involved. For parents of young children, they come under pressure to get a pup, as you've said, at various times of the year. They want it to become a lesson in responsibility. They try and impart to children, look, this is a lifelong commitment for the animal. Kids invariably take a shine for a week, two weeks, but then the next distraction comes along. And very often it's not that the pup isn't cared for. It's just that the pup isn't getting the attention, isn't getting the play, arguably those softer needs. How do you get around that? Um, I think um, anyone who is thinking of getting a puppy or a kitten or whatever needs to look and say, okay, there are kids. If if, if you've got young kids in the house and you're, and you're coming under that pressure, you have to be able to say, well, actually, you know what? I'm the grown up here and, you know, I can't expect my six or seven or eight or 10 year old to take on all of the responsibilities of owning a pet. And as the adult in the household, you need to be able to, make the decision that if you're if you're taking a pet into the family you're saying okay right this is this is another living breathing creature that i am responsible for um and we can't you can't make your you know you can't expect your child to take on all of that responsibility and the other side of it is then as well that you know you're bringing your family member in it's part of the family so again, you can't just say, okay, well, it's it's your job to walk the dog or it's your job to play with the dog. It's not a job. It's part of your life. And it's about being able to say, well, I'm going to welcome this pet into all of my life. And, you know, as, a, as an adult or a child in that family, you need to be on board with what that's going to involve. And I think, you know, for any family or anyone thinking about getting a pet, it's about really being important. It's really important to know and that the whole family is making that commitment, that it's not going to be, you know, that's like, OK, someday somebody's not going to be able to feed it because they're doing something else or but the whole mm. but it still needs to be fed um and it's not okay to just say oh well that's that person's job so i'm not going to do it because you can't take that approach uh, yeah and i think you've hit on another breathing. point as well yeah. that it's ultimately the adults will make the most informed decision you can't necessarily hold a child to the excitement and the, I suppose, inexperience that may cloud their judgment 
um, when they say, oh, I'm going to walk the dog, I'm going to be responsible for doing that three days a week or whatever it is. The adult has to invariably pick that up from time to time because they're the more mature one. But something else that's perhaps more difficult to get around is the cost. And we've had inflation in all sorts of uh, walks of life in recent years. And taking on a puppy is one thing. But when they grow to be a dog, if they're one of the larger breeds, we have a chocolate lab, for instance, and he's insatiably hungry. So you need to get the calculator out as well. Yeah, and again, it goes back to, you know, you might be getting a cute little furball, but you're not getting a puppy, you're getting a dog. You know, you're getting 16 years of commitment and... We would all say, look, your cute little furball, you know, that that Labrador puppy is gorgeous, lovely, tiny little thing, but it's going to grow into a relatively big dog. And it's really important that when you're considering getting a pet, that you're looking at all of what that's going to entail and that you are making the right choice for your family and your budgets and your what you can commit to because cost is one thing grooming is a huge piece that you know every dog is different but they all have different grooming grooming needs but some need a lot more than others which can be quite expensive and because it's a regular recurring cost and feeding is another thing those bigger dogs they eat a lot you know so you are going to need to be conscious of that you've got other things like veterinary bills there are costs there and you need to be prepared for it but we would say it's like not all dogs are equal either and you know be conscious of all of the things that you're looking at you know because exercise requirements are another piece that you know some dogs need maybe two two three hours exercise a day while another dog will be much more content with 30 minutes exercise and then some interactive play or you know so you really need to look at well what type of, of breed, all of the breeds are different. There's different breed traits and that can kind of give you an indication as to what kind of adult dog or even puppy you're getting and and what they will require. And and the same goes for if you're rescuing and taking taking a puppy from rescue, it can be a little bit more difficult to know exactly what breed you're getting. Mm. But, but there are traits there with regard to, okay, well, we know this dog is part collie or we know this dog is part to be able to go back and look at, well, what are the breed traits of that breed? Because it will dictate whether or not that dog is more suitable to your household. So if you've got a very small, you know, enclosed garden, but it's small, then, you know, getting a really big, very energetic dog probably won't suit within that space because it's going to need a lot more space. So it's just to look at all of the all of the options and do your research before you bring make the commitment to bringing a dog home and that's really important and if you do that and the whole family is on board with what you're doing it'll make that process of settling a puppy in and and bringing a happy content dog for their lifetime into your house one other matter a few people have asked this and it's a mistake i made myself that you let your puppy small and cute jump up on you or jump up on the couch or otherwise have access to the house that might be okay when they're a puppy. But when they are a full-grown dog, jumping up on people, mm, that's not such a good idea. So how do you get out of I suppose ultimately it's training and, and is it a case of yeah. professional training that's needed to teach the old dog new tricks? Um. So training is hugely important and we would recommend that 
um, new dog owners or even people who maybe would have had a dog before and are getting a new dog that they do look at maybe joining a class um, and starting as young as possible because again like you said yourself you know if you're getting a puppy you're bringing puppy into your life your job is to teach that puppy what's okay and what's not okay your job is to socialize that puppy to the point that you if you know if you want a very well behaved adult dog you've got to put the groundwork in as as a as a as a, as a puppy and to understand well what do you how do you want to live with your dog do you want to be able to take your dog to places and know that they're going to um not be barking at people and that they're not going to be you know jumping up on people you need to put the groundwork in and it's not to say older dogs can't be taught these things but it's easier to start and train the good behavior and the good habits from an earlier age and we would recommend anyone who is who's gotten a puppy recently to to look at joining a class we offer classes in our new training school in Athlone um, and we're we're running we have puppy preschool for for puppies three to six months so we're you know get starting early um, and then we have our puppy school from from six to twelve and then we have our adult dog and there's there's lots of different options there but you know a, a big part of your training is to sit, is about consistency and discipline and that's as much for the humans in the house as it is for the dog in the house because your dog is going to get confused if he's getting mixed messages from the humans so it's really really important that you just be consistent from the start and know what it is that you're trying to what you want with with your puppy as an adult dog and like that you know it's it's only going to be a puppy for a few months but it's going to be an adult dog for for many years and put the groundwork in we would recommend everybody consider joining a class and, and a group class if at all possible but if not that you know there's lots of other options and we have we have loads of videos and blogs on our own website if you go on to petmania.ie with dog trainers that can guide you through some of the the recommended pieces on uh, those those faqs um of you know how do you get them to get your recall and when's the right time to work on particular skills with mm. your puppy as well um and another tool that's there for for new puppy owners is to maybe sign up to our puppy club so again if you go onto our website at mania.ie we have a puppy club there and depending on so you'll sign up it's all based on email and depending on the age of your puppy we'll send you notifications to say look your puppy's at this stage now this is probably the milestone that you're looking for so you probably know their own name now so now you can really work on this skill or they're at this stage and you need to be maybe looking at these things with them but it's a continual process of training and positive messaging and positive reinforcement and every dog is different some will take to it like a duck to water and others will um will it will take a little bit longer and then others you know you know they might they might learn a skill and then you kind of go oh yeah they've got that but if you're not being consistent about reminding them that they have that skill then they might just forget and they might need a reminder that actually no this is this is how you do this thing yep. um, and every now so, and again something will distract them and all bets are off and that's the beauty of having dogs yeah, Emily. yeah but, but it's about helping them along the way so yeah look there's loads of tools there and just I know we had our puppy care class on Saturday just gone and people may have missed it but it is a class that we offer in the store on the second Saturday of every month so there will be another one in February and all the information's on our website Fantastic. Petmania.ie. Emily Miller, thank you very much.
No worries, thank you. Text now 083-3010-103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Tullamore, the home of Offaly's top-selling car brand, Toyota. Midlands 103. Let this sink in for a moment. Ireland's two richest billionaires have more wealth than the bottom half of the population. That's according to research from Oxfam. I guess those guys don't worry too much about paying their electricity bill. But if you do, a little bit of good news from Electric Ireland today. It's the latest supplier to cut its charges. And Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of the Irish Independent, has the details. Morning, Charlie. Good morning, Will. This being the latest in a succession of price cuts from different suppliers. So what are Electric Ireland announcing? Yeah, this is the news you want on a cold... Monday morning on, in, uh, in January, isn't it? Electric Ireland are announcing that in March, and a bit of a lead in, I'm afraid, but anyway, on the 1st of March, they're cutting their electricity prices by 7% and their standing charges by a similar percentage. That'll save families about €150 Euros a year. And gas going down by 8%, standing charge coming down as well, about €111 Euros of a saving there. When you combine that with the cuts that they announced in November, you're talking about an annual saving on electricity for a typical household of about 365 euros and on gas about 328. So good news, good news. But um, look, it's uh, it's going to be six weeks before we get it. So there'll be a lot of energy used in the meantime. And it's not enough. We should see more, really. We, we, we need to see more because um, wholesale gas and uh, prices have come down a lot. And wholesale gas is, determines really the price of our electricity because we use wholesale gas to generate half of the electricity in the country. So, you know, uh, there are expectations that we will get more cuts. And there's a price war element to this in that uh, Board Gosh now, who've only announced one reduction in prices so far since the energy crisis struck, uh, they will have to come in with um, with cuts because they're a big player, particularly on the gas side, but they're big on electricity as well. And energy, another big player in the market, uh, they will have to announce now something similar to Electric Ireland because we've had two reductions from Electric Ireland, two reductions from SSE Electricity, two reductions from Pinergy and two reductions from new player Uno Energy, which is very competitively priced. So, you know, it's good news and it's pressure now on Borgash and Energy, as I say, and the hope is now that uh, uh, we will get those cuts from Borgash and Energy and then there will be more reductions maybe later in the year, reflecting the fact that wholesale prices are down. Hmm. And which of the companies is the most influential? Is Electric Ireland still the biggest, for instance? Yeah, I think it's usually influential because it's 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 the big beast in the market. It's got 1.1 million electricity and gas customers. So, um, you know, if it moves, it kind of the competitors have to move as well. The pity of it is it didn't make a bigger cut in this prices. I mean, its unit price is still pretty high. Uh, but look, at it, 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 it is... Um, it's a very important player. So, you know, when a big player like that moves, uh, Borgash and Energy, uh, they won't have any choice here. You know, if they want to remain competitive, they will need to reduce their prices. And it's good as well to see the old standing charges come down. That's a real bugbear with people, that one. They went up heavily uh, in about 2020 to 2022. There was a big increase in the standing charges. And you've no choice in the standing charge. It's, It's a fee you have to pay no matter how much, much energy you use, it's kind of a fee for for the equipment that's coming into, you know, the the, the, the the provision of electricity and gas into your home. 
uh, and, and, and they can be very expensive, anywhere between 300 and 400 euros a year, depending on what meter you have. But in some cases, some standing charges are as high as 700 euros. So they desperately need to come down. So it's good to see that the Electric Ireland are announcing a reduction in their standing charge. Yeah, but I suppose if we try to imagine a future where appliances are more energy efficient, where more homes have solar panels, the demand for electricity itself is probably going to go down, at least domestically, and therefore the energy companies want to protect their margin. They're probably not going to be forgiving on standing charges more so than unit rates. Yeah, well, it was part of the strategy they had to cope with the extreme increases in wholesale prices during the worst of the crisis. Uh, they didn't want to keep whacking up the unit prices because we had multiple increases, if you remember. So a way, for them to, a way for them to get around that was to increase the standing charge at the same time as increase the unit charge. So um, hopefully now we're going back on that now and we're seeing a normalisation of the market. Uh, I've just been talking to Dr. Paul Dean of UCC. He's a, an energy scientist and he reckons market is normalising a bit. Um, uh, now, we're not going to go back to the prices we had before the Russians invaded Ukraine, but at least it, they are coming down and we can expect more cuts this year. And the standing charge thing is is, is part of that. If they're reducing standing charge, it's a sign that uh, the market is normalising a bit because it was a kind of panic reaction by the energy companies. They couldn't cope with the higher wholesale prices they were being hit with uh, and they didn't want to pass all of that on to consumers, so they, they used this well, pretty awful tactic of, of increasing the unit charge and the standing charge uh, to hit consumers. So, so it's good, at least, Will, if that's coming down, you know, those standing charges are coming down. Although we say we won't see prices lower than before the war in Ukraine, but there are some things to consider. First of all, gas, which is the, I suppose, the benchmark for how much electricity costs, it is now cheaper than it was before the war in Ukraine. Also, there's more renewable, much more solar in particular, on the grid. And, OK, there's CapEx to start with, but there are no ongoing costs or minimal ongoing costs to generating solar and, and wind and so on. So why shouldn't prices fall further, um, uh, you know, significantly further? You know, you're absolutely right. You know, wind is cheaper. Uh, you, you know, and, and look, at we, we take our our benchmark is European gas wholesale prices and they have been coming down because we've had a relatively mild winter across the continent. Uh, the French are using more nuclear at the moment. That's keeping costs down a bit as well. And there's a lot of good value gas coming in from the US. But we're never going to get back to the situation we had before the, the Russians invaded Europe because um, that was, you know, there was very cheap gas coming into Europe from Russia. We weren't using that, but that was setting the price for everybody. And the, the 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 fact now that we're not using Russian gas anymore, that means that you know we're looking at a relatively ele- elevated situation where uh, uh, electricity and gas prices for for households won't come back to where they were before the Russians invaded Ukraine. But at least they are coming back, and we can expect a, a raft of more decreases at the, maybe at the end of the year. More details in the Irish Independent. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Will. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. The Save Our Shannon organisation is holding an information evening in Lucas Bar in Shannon Bridge at half seven this evening. 
and all farmers, businesses and residents who have been affected by flooding in the Shannon Callows from Athlone to Mealick are invited to attend. If you're the parent of a child with additional sensory needs or you're observing sensory behaviours you don't understand, this course is for you. It's organised by Developmental Foundations for Learning in Walshestown, Mullingar, and it's a sensory smart parenting workshop on Saturday the 3rd of February, 10.30 until 4. See Developmental Foundations for Learning on Facebook. Join the Acres Leinster Corporation Project and Barry Nolan of the Leash Barn Owl Project for an engaging talk on the conservation of barn owls and kestrels. The event is Thursday evening at 7 in Castletown Community Centre, Castletown County Leash and it is free to attend. Just show up on the night. The community diary is online at midlands103.com. If there's something happening in your area and I never mentioned it, Call 0818-300-103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormi Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie. Joe points out, if you live in a rural area, you pay more for your electricity than in an urban area because of the infrastructure it takes to get to your house rather than house-to-house calls, or costs, rather. Now, gaming... From the 1980s and the 1990s, those old vintage consoles and the software that we enjoyed so much. If you like older games, where can you go to play them? And if you're somebody who grew up in an era without any options... Well, where do you even begin? Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103 If you work or hang around with people in their 20s and you start talking about gaming arcades and arcade machines, they look at you as if you've two heads and are terribly amused at the idea that you wouldn't have a screen in your house, that you would actually go out and you would sink money to play Pac-Man or Street Fighter or whatever your distraction of choice was. And then eventually along came the home consoles and you had these unusual cartridges that you just slot down and eventually along came the CD-ROM and oh, here we are now in a cloud computing age. But actually, that cloud computing can unlock some of those old games that you once played and you can rediscover them all over again. Hugh McAtamley is uh, with the Technological University in Dublin and he has always being kind to us when it comes to gaming and sharing his thoughts and we chatted not so long ago Hugh about Grand Theft Auto 6 which will probably blow everybody's mind when it comes out at some stage next year but let's talk about good old games good morning first of all good morning Will happy new year which games did you grow up with well it's interesting um, the just thinking about that and just buying Christmas presents for for my son and seeing those video arcade machines now being sold in the in places like Smith's with all those old games you just mentioned on it, um, it brought me back to the game I remember getting me really into making and playing and talking about games and it's a game called Myth that came out 
in the 90s and uh, it was the first game on CD-ROM. You just mentioned it there. And it was the biggest selling game until The Sims came along in 2000. And uh, The Sims is the game that uh, brought female gamers into gaming. Um, but that game missed was a CD-ROM game. It drove the technology of CD-ROMs. People bought computers to buy the CD-ROM to play the game. So, um, and that's the one that got me hooked. How did I miss it? M-Y-S-T, is that how it's spelled? M-Y-S-T. And it has been, as you said, being re-released multiple times. You can now play it um, on many of the PC gaming platforms, but you can also play it on your mobile phone and your iPad, which is opening up to a whole new generation of games. Yeah, I'm just reading the description. So an adventure game. You see, at that stage, I would have been playing Street Fighter 2. <laughs> so 1993, um, the yeah. Super Nintendo versus the Nintendo. Mega Drive. That was the era yeah. that I was growing up in. And eventually, Street Fighter 2 was released on the Mega Drive, which was a coup because it had previously been a Nintendo-only game. But what I recall of that era, and you mentioned it earlier, it was a very male-heavy industry. The games seemed to appeal to boys more so than girls. And when did that change? Well, it changed when The Sims came out. Um, And The Sims came out in 2000. This is a game where you micromanage a, a family and you buy furniture for them. And it was the first of these type of um, simulator games that appealed to uh, ga- female gamers. And the the other thing that it was driving it is, is that PCs were in people's homes. Y- you were playing the uh, sort of first generation of handheld and uh, desktop consoles, you know, the Sega, the Atari, um, which were very popular with male gamers back then. But the PC had been around, I suppose, in homes uh, for, for 10 years. So, uh, you know, um, and girls were using the computer and this was a game you could buy on CD and play on your computer. And what's happened since then is the web has obviously allowed people to play more games. But I think if you were to look at a device that supercharged the... Um, female gamer population, it would be mobile devices because um, that has allowed the girls to uh, play games, um, uh, you know, casually, you know, at home, you know, going into college, into school and to work. And it's just more accessible now when they have the phone in the pocket. Mm. I remember SimCity. I think that was a precursor to The Sims. Yeah. It just shows we each have our, our era because I'm taking you back 10 years or so before that. Yeah. One of the difficulties for anybody who's fond of the older games, well, certainly for a, a number of years, is that they weren't always compatible with the newer technology. So they would crash, uh, they just wouldn't run properly. But mm-hmm. what platforms can you find now that overcome those compatibility difficulties? Well, I mean, mobile mobile devices and and uh, iPads and mobile they the the software that's being used to make games or remastered games it now has the ability to uh, deploy the games to multiple platforms. So it's very unusual you will find a game that doesn't work on all these devices. Primarily, though, if you want to play the older games, uh, you're going to have to sit in front of a PC. 
And there are a couple of platform, uh, software platforms that are very popular uh, called Steam and uh, GOG or GOG. Uh, and these, these platforms are, well, they're, they're free to download in the first instance. You set up an account and the library these um, uh, shop fronts have are massive. And you can buy a lot of these old games for a couple of euro. They're constantly having sales. I, I am a sucker for um, these um, sales. I'm, bu I'm buying old games I played 30 years ago for one and two or three euro. Um, games I'll never play again. But I, I bought the disk drive or the hard drive, or the, the, the floppy disks all those years ago. I have the box. Um, I have a whole library of uh, boxes of games in work uh, in TU Dublin. And uh, it's nice to be able to download a uh, digital version of it to have there if I want to play or if I want my um, son to play them. Just a final thought then. For people of our vintage, there's great nostalgia in logging onto one of those platforms, playing one of those old games. I'm looking out at a bunch of people in their 20s here in the radio station. They're never going to consider playing something that was published in the 1990s, for instance. But what would be the appeal? Like, How are those older games in some ways better than what's produced today? Or am I just looking through rose-tinted glasses? Uh, I know. It is a, it is a real shock to me when we have our uh, game design students come in in first year and um, may, I, I, it makes me feel like an old relic standing up there talking about these games that they should play. Games like Myst um, and, and others that are, are, are sort of lost to them because they're not the type of games they want to play. They're playing their Call of Duties, their Roblox, their um, uh, Fortnite and the FIFAs and, and they've been like it, it, they've been uh, sort of homogenized into these AAA games, and they're not really exploring these really interesting, uh, great stories, um, really well written. Um, yes, the graphics are older, but there there was a, a lot more soul to these games. Um, I suppose you could say the same of old movies. But uh, the the thing is, is that they they are there available as you get older. Um, uh, people like to play more interesting games. Um, so at least they, they have um, those games accessible. And there's lots of get websites that promote them and there'll be bundles of old games. But yes, it, it isn't something newer or younger gamers are going to want to play. They want the biggest graphics, the, the, the latest, um, you know, um, a branded game. But that's just uh, the same as everything else, I suppose. That's where we have to leave it. A caller asks, do you remember Ports of Call? I do. And lost, I don't know how many hours to it. It's a game where you pretend to run a shipping company. Very graphically simple, but oddly absorbing. And yes. I'm sure there are many listeners who have yeah. other suggestions yeah. like that. Hugh, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Hugh McIntamney from TU Dublin. Love the Midlands. Good morning. Still on the agenda today, Dancing with the Stars. Rory Cowan and Eileen Dunn still in it. But then there were no eliminations either this week or last week. Yeah, will they make the cut? What's your impression? Who are you watching? Who's your favourite? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Also, your local sports review... And Leash 
their Walsh Cup campaign coming to an end in the semi-final stages, rather emphatically too. Galway were in sterling form. More on that in around 15 minutes. Now, you'll remember 2021 for many reasons, not least, of course, that massive long COVID lockdown from the start of the year, but also from the 23rd to the 29th of March, the Suez Canal was blocked by that giant container ship, the Ever Given, and it caused disruption to global trade. And unfortunately, we are now seeing not necessarily a similar impact but an impact nonetheless from the uh, disruption and attacks of the Houthi militant group who have taken aim at a number of uh, vessels passing through the Red Sea and into the Suez Canal. And indeed it led to airstrikes from the United States and Britain last week against targets in Yemen. Let's try and forecast ahead because there will be a lag between when you hear about this and when the impact will be felt. Simon McKeever is Chief Executive of the Irish Exporters Association. Simon, good morning. Will, how are you? Uh, happy New Year, if it's not too late to say that. Indeed, and many happy returns. It's Blue Monday, so we're going to be happy insofar <laughs> as we Monday, can. Is that, that's what you call this, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, which apparently is an invention of the travel industry, make you think <laughs> of blue skies. Okay, I, I, I just thought it was freezing Monday. I digress. Let's assess what's happening in uh, that part of the world and a little bit of context. How much trade, how much global trade flows through there? Um, Well, 3.1% of global commerce goes through the Red Sea. Uh, 12% um, of global sea trade goes through the Suez Canal. 30% of the container traffic um, goes through the Red Sea which is why it's so important because the container boxes is what sits in underneath all of this and what was sitting in, you know, behind the past. When you, you mentioned the ever given ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal back in March 2021. Uh, and just to give people a sense of, you know, there, there's a there's a there's a there's a, a thing called the, the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index. Um, and as a result of the ever given being stuck in uh, the Suez Canal for a week, that was at 2,650. Uh, it's now at 2,250, haven't come off to less than 1,000, um, which is where it started pre-COVID, but it was in there, in and around that level um, late last year. So we're not we're not near the levels that that, that was at, at its highs in COVID, which is at around 5,100, but we are creeping up. We are double where we are and where we would normally be in um, in normal times. And, you know, the Red Sea, so so to try and explain this, the Red Sea is, is one of four things that is going on at the moment, all of which I believe will lead to um, an increase in inflation and delays both coming in and out of uh, of Ireland from, from a trade point of view and consumer goods point of view. Well, if that's only one thing, what are the other three, Simon? Well, the other, the other three things are the Panama Canal, um, so over over in Panama, you have in the Panama Canal, you have a freshwater lake sitting in the middle of the canal, uh, which also supplies the water supply to a significant part of the population of Panama. Um, so as as climate changes got worse, the level of water has dropped in that lake, 
Um, so there's already been an, um, a restriction uh, on shipping going through the Panama Canal. It's only been running at 80% up until now over the last year anyway. But we were given notification last week of one of the major shipping lines introducing a land bridge now between uh, oh, going across the the, um, the 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 where the Panama Canal normally would be. So the ship, say a ship that's going from the west to the east, it'll drop its cargo off at the western end of the Panama Canal. It'll be put on a truck. It'll be driven across to the eastern end of the Panama Panama Canal and then put on a, another ship. So that is that is going to cause delays and an increase, I would have thought, in costs and also a disruption in, in shipping because you no longer have the ships going going from one end of the world to the other. They're now becoming more localised on either side of it. So you Panama Canal, um, you know, which is causing a clog up. The other thing, um, and, and perhaps minor, but was considered to be um, much more considerable at the, at the start of the year, was there's a new charge as a result of the EU transmissions trading scheme which has put $870, sorry, 870 euros on a 40-foot container trading, you know, moving between the European Union and the USA. And then sitting on underneath all of this is is what's happening to the price of oil. Uh, And oil is holding fairly steady below that kind of $79, uh, $80 level at the moment. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of oil goes through the the Red Sea, goes through the, um, the Suez Canal. And if there was an upset about that, that would push oil prices up even further. So I kind of mentioned, so the, so the Red Sea is the, is the big thing that's going on at the moment. And, and what, what happens is that, you know, if you, if you look at the volume that's going through the, the, um, the Red Sea at the moment, and daily, daily volumes in normal times are about half a million tonnes. It's down to about 200,000 tonnes at the moment. So there's been a, there's been a huge fall off in that. Um, and what is happening is that the shipping uh, companies are routing the ships uh, around the Cape of Good Hope, mm. uh, you know, around the south of Africa. And that adds a quarter onto the journey time. Um, and so that has an impact in terms of cost you know, and also from a sustainable point of view, it, it is less environmentally friendly to, to burn the extra amount of bunker fuel that it would take to go around that. So, so, so you have an increase, and, and that's in time. going to mean then a lag. So, certain products may have lag. been scheduled to arrive here and won't for another couple of days. Well, it's, it's more than it's more than another couple of days. It's, it, the delay is somewhere between probably eight days and two weeks. Oh wow! And then, and then, but, but what you're also looking at is the containers. So, there's a limited supply of containers in the world. Um, now the, the slack has been taken up a little bit at the moment because there was a slight oversupply, but there is a limited supply in containers. And so a container comes in, say two weeks late into Rotterdam, mm. um, then then a container going back out to China takes an extra two weeks. So that round trip is adding a month on the container, and and this is what happened during COVID. Um, the availability of containers actually fell uh, because of the clogging up, and so. That kind of um, dependence on containers, the clogging up of those containers um, will have a knock-on effect over time. So I, I see this as, you know, the way they talk about how do you boil a frog. This is going to be a slowly, slowly build up, I would think. But you're already seeing some consumer goods companies um, saying that there is going to be delays getting goods in. They're not talking about price increases. I heard of one of the um, car companies in Germany um, talking about shutting down for two weeks because they can't get the parts in from uh, China, and then the the following piece that sorry the, the final piece in all of this is that you're heading into the Lunar New Year um, 
in the second week of February in China when a lot of the factories closed down there anyway. And there is a slowdown. And it's also the time where freight companies tend to uh, book their long-term rates here uh, with the shipping company. So I, I, what I personally believe in, in all of this is that this is going to be a slow um, decrease in the availability of containers leading to a slowly ratcheting up um, cost in them uh, and a cost to doing business in this country because, you know, there's very little gets made in this country that isn't brought into uh, the island unless it's off the land. Um, so supply Just because a few listeners have queried this, Simon, what tends to come in by air? What will be unaffected by this? When you, when you got to think about, you know, why do, what do you do? What do you move by air? You move high-value goods by air that are small items. Um, so that can tend to be some pharmaceutical goods. Um, it can tend to be some electronic components, and it can tend to be, believe it or not, a, you know, some high-value um, foodstuffs get moved by air. So, so really, from from our side, it's it's not an awful lot. Most of it comes in by sea for um, for Ireland. Um, so in our factories, they're heavily dependent on component parts and raw materials coming in by sea from outside. You're also looking at the the, the, the machines that make those items in the factories in Ireland. When one of them goes down, the, the spare parts tend to come in from overseas as well. And, and that's, that's what we saw during COVID. I, I don't think this is going to be anything like what we saw in COVID, but but I do think that you're going to see inflationary pressures that will bring this into the kind of producer price. So I think this is coming into um, the factory side of things. You will see the, the cost of doing business going up. Uh, you will see delays in getting those goods in, and you'll also see delays in being able to ship our items off the island uh, as a consequence of, of what I talked about there in that limited supply containers. Simon McKeever, thank you very much for making time for us. Not at all. Talk to you. Simon is Chief Executive of the Irish Exporters Association. The Monday Sports Review, Midlands Today on Midlands 183. What you may have missed on Dancing with the Stars. A bit of harmless crack, that's really all it is. And uh, Rory Cowan in a less energetic routine than last week. More on that in around 25 minutes. David Hollywood is here from the Midlands 103 Sports Department. Speaking of energy, good morning. Good morning, Will. You probably were out doing a sickening distance of your running at the weekend training for this half marathon, were you? I, uh, I had a, a busy parenting weekend, so I got out for a short run this morning. What's a short run? A short run was a short run. I uh, got 3K uh, done, and that was it before bite of breakfast, and a driving lesson. Busy morning. Okay, you're still putting us to shape. Not at all. Let's open with Gaelic games. And we had agreed because of Blue Monday that we were only going to talk about wins. So the Gaelic games review is over then. Let's move on to soccer. Indeed. <laughs> um, Leash were in the Walsh Cup semi-final uh, owing uh, to a decent victory over Offaly initially. And that was a good start for Willie Myers' men. It gave them an extra week to prepare for this meeting with Galway. And we saw Galway um, absolutely outgunned Offaly. Uh, when they played before the fog called time in that game and subsequently then Offaly agreed to allow that 55 minutes to produce an official result uh, which means that uh, Galway and Leash uh, met in Ballina Slow over the weekend on Sunday I should say yesterday 6.29 to 2.20 was the final result much like Offaly and Leash were outclassed again it's probably helpful to get a reminder of where the ceiling is for Leash and um, 
that they're going to be aspiring to because unlike Offaly they're not going to be playing in Division 1 in the early part of the year so unless they win through the Joe McDonough Cup and get pitched into the All-Ireland series they're probably not going to come up against a team of Galway's quality Mm. again this year so you know, you can cod yourself as a squad and a panel maybe if, if you're beating everyone in Division 2 and you have a good Joe McDonough, you can then think, right, we're there. Whereas that, that was sort of the season that Offaly had last year. Uh, they meet Galway in the Wash Cup and they realise, oh, this is going to be the level that we need to get to. So Leash at least have that understanding. They started well. They took the lead with a couple of points from Stephen Picky, Marr and Cody Comerford. Uh, Galway's first score, though, was a goal. Uh, Leash stayed with Galway score for score until Henry Shefflin's side hit their stride. They got 1-4 without reply and look ultimately that was the game the gap only got bigger from there on in uh, by the time Leash hit their first goal of the day they were a good seven points down uh, Dooley uh, set up Picky Marr for the goal and both of them added points after that Galway kept adding points they had a seven point lead at the break the floodgates opened though in the second half they hit three points without reply before their third goal which was hit by Liam McConnell uh, they then scored obviously by the end six goals yeah. Um, Aaron Dunphy did get Leash's second and final goal of the game but it was a, a pretty brutal 21 point defeat for Leash but again they go back into their preparation for the National League campaign at uh, knowing uh, probably where they're deficient where they can clearly improve on and the next time we'll see them is in the first weekend of February uh, when they welcome down to Leash Moor Park in Division 2 of the league Coverage by the way with thanks to Reynolds Commercials in Athlone new CVRT centre opening soon for testing of light and heavy vehicles and also O'Brien's Renault in Mullingar exceeding your expectations with the Renault Megane E-Tech 100% electric so after defeats to Longford and Offaly in the O'Byrne Cup Leash and Westmeath found themselves in the O'Byrne Shield and on Saturday Westmeath were up against Louth Leash faced Wicklow both their competitive pre-seasons campaigns com- coming to an end unfortunately that's right. And the O'Byrne Shields, which is um, a new convention, as it were, uh, no harm to give uh, the teams who have lost early in the O'Byrne Cup that extra round uh, so that everyone kind of has at least a couple of competitive pre-season mm. games. Bear in mind, all these teams are playing challenge games in and around the background. But when you're sort of on the public stage, as it were, it's a different kettle of fish and it's better preparation for when you do play league. So in the Shields, uh, it finished 212 to 12 points in favour of Louth against Westmeath and Kinnegad and 120 uh, to Wicklow against Leash's 12 points. Justin McNulty, it must be said, did pick an inexperienced side for uh, this game against Wicklow. A definite demonstration of someone probably looking at the wider panel and bear in mind Justin McNulty is coming back in after 10 years uh, away from the inter-county scene after 10 years away from the leash job so it makes sense that he's looking at that uh, wider panel one of the more experienced and established names who did play was Rean uh, Murphy uh, both he and Brian Daly led the forward line actually quite well but Leash were always chasing this game it was just about done and dusted by half time 7 point lead for Wicklow at the break that was extended to 13 points um, through the second half uh, or should I say by the end of the game Leash uh, next play in Division 4 of the National League and that's against Longford uh, in Leash Hire a more park in a fortnight's mm. time um, from a Westmeath perspective Desi Dolan actually picked a stronger Westmeath team to take on Louth and Kinnegad Louth bear in mind are All-Ireland or sorry uh, Leinster football finalists from the year just gone a solid Division 2 team Westmeath whilst they had a stronger outfit out than Leash didn't have John Heslin playing uh, but otherwise uh, they were comprised of the majority of players you will see in the league in a couple of weeks uh, the most that can be said for the performances that Louth will again they'll have tested uh, Westmeath sufficiently 
it's a good primer because <coughs> bless you, Will. Excuse me. You're quite all right. I shall continue. <laughs> um, they're playing awfully in the opening of the league and that's a big, big game in Division 3. Uh, so Louth uh, will have gotten them ready well, I think. Luke Lachlan top scored for Westmeath with five points. Uh, two of those were from play. The goals in the game came from Louth and they came from uh, Kieran Keenan and Ryan Burns. One concern for Westmeath, Ray Connellan uh, was withdrawn early in the first half due to injury. I think it was only 17 minutes on the clock. They're meeting at uh, the end of the month against Offaly. Really interesting test of both sides. Westmeath have the continuity with Desi Dolan. They were probably a bit better last year over uh, the course of the 12 month or over the course of the six, seven month season. Mm. Offaly went through the loss of Liam Kearns. They have a new manager and that could bring a new manager bounce now with mm. Declan Kelly. Um, they've uh, home advantage. Uh, so there's not a huge amount between them in terms of talent and that's very finely poised. It's probably the standout fixture when the league campaign does get up and running. All right, hard one to call. Next, cross-channel soccer and indeed other sports after these. The Monday Sports Review, Midlands Today on Midlands 183. Moving on to cross-channel soccer and the Premier League continued over the weekend, but without some of the league's biggest stars the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup. We'll see the likes of Mo Salah and Son Heung-min play internationally while their clubs continue to fight for points in England. So let's start in England with Man United at home to Spurs. And it sounds like this could have been a very entertaining game. Yeah, they usually are actually United and Spurs. Got a long-standing history of entertaining games and it promised goals in terms of how Ange Postacoglu and Eric Ten Hag set their sides up. And that's what we got yesterday at Old Trafford. Rasmus Hoyland, he was bought by United as the solution to their lack of a striker. However, both he and the team have failed massively this season in the goals department. They've scored 24 goals in 21 games. You have to go down to the likes of Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest and Brentford in 14th, 15th and 16th for that kind of scoring deficit. He did well though Hoyland in the Champions League uh, but it took him nearly half the season to score in the Premier League that goal came against Aston Villa then he got a second just after three minutes uh, yesterday evening uh, good work by Rashford uh, Spurs panicked in defence it breaks for Hoyland and he roofs it into the net it's a cracking goal uh, great start for United but they've been weak from set pieces and in Pedro Porro, Tottenham have one of the best corner takers in the league. So it wasn't a massive surprise when Richarlison equalised four spurs from a corner. It was open, end-to-end. Tottenham had most of the ball, but United were really penetrative on the, the counter-attack. Both sides could have taken the lead, but for the woodwork. And then a beauty of a goal by Marcus Rashford. He scored 30 goals last season. This campaign has been a totally different proposition uh, but he linked up really nicely with Hoyland on the edge of the box a neat one-two and then bang he punched a low curler into the bottom corner and then United had a 2-1 lead and a half time and in keeping with United's inconsistency uh, they conceded the equaliser 50 seconds into the second half Tottenham then kind of controlled the second half even more so than the first United looked a bit out of ideas so they have to accept a share of the spoils Scott McTominay could have headed in a winner with one of the last touches of the game but headed it over. I mentioned Rashford and Hoyland kind of linking up. Eric Ten Hag, the United manager, says his team's a work in progress, but they are making progress. They are coming up uh, some uh, routines and that is what you need, especially I think you need everywhere, but especially I think in the front line where tight areas are, where a quick decision has to be made yeah, in a split of second. Hey, you need the right decision, so, so you need that intuition together. 
For Spurs, they've had to deal with injuries and absentees. Uh, Sung Hyun Min, as you mentioned there, Dejan Kulusevski as well would have been starting. Those are their two attacking wide players. Uh, their manager, however, Ange Postacoglu, says what he's happy with is his squad's application. The only reason we're in the position we are is because we've had players who are prepared to put aside whatever adversity we're going through and give everything they have. And I've said this week on end that these guys are giving me everything. One of the big talking points on Saturday would be Kevin De Bruyne's much-weighted return to Manchester City. Yeah, and and a timely one considering they were trailing against Newcastle when he came on the pitch and he turned it into a winning return. He squeezed a beautiful goal um, in to equalise against Newcastle and then a brilliant assist in injury time uh, into a 30-minute cameo and that was the game won. Uh, it's hard to see City not winning the title. They've got him back. Haaland's going to be back to fitness soon. And <laughs> interestingly, they don't have any players at either Af- AFCON, the Africa Cup of Nations or the Asian Cup. Just I'm sure they're not recruiting with that in mind but it's how it's panned mm. out uh, Pep Guardiola speaking after the game uh, naturally glowing about Kevin De Bruyne he's a special player he's a legend he's a how much is beloved for our fans for all of us for our people so and he's fragging his mind because five months is a lot of time and hopefully the second part of the season can help us to to be there until the end now speaking of the Africa Cup of Nations the First weekend of the tournament in Ivory Coast saw, or almost saw, a Mm. big, big shock. Liverpool having to do without Mo Salah and he really came to his country's rescue. Yeah, he's an interesting one. You would think that Mo Salah is held in huge esteem in African football, uh, but he isn't. He's actually, he's been partially to some really disappointing results for Egypt. They lost the AFCON final against Senegal uh, on penalties. Salah was to take the fifth and final one, but his teammate Sadio Mane for Senegal was part of the Senegalese players who scored their penalties. Salah's teammates missed them and Egypt missed their opportunity to claim the title then. I don't think Salah's ever picked up a major trophy with Egypt yet, and if they were to have his career come and go before uh, without ever winning um, mm. an Africa Cup of Nations well that would be a, a bit of a disaster he did bring them to the World Cup the last time uh, but certainly uh, it's not quite happened for him and I, I, I saw the second half of Egypt's game against Mozambique Mozambique I believe have zero victories at Africa Cup of Nations they have a couple of draws in their history and um, it was scoreless Mo Salah uh, swung for the ball completely missed it and inadvertently assisted Mustafa Mohamed because it hit the back of Salah's foot and then uh, Mohamed smashed it into the goal I saw Salah came up as an assist on the updates and I was thinking oh, okay he's finally up and running at this tournament then I saw the assist and I was like of course Um that being said, he did ultimately save them. Mozambique actually uh, managed uh, to get back in this game. They equalised through Witty in the 55th minute and then sensationally took the lead uh, by uh, a great finish by Clesio back uh, in just a couple of minutes later and they held on and they held on. I was watching this and Egypt looked relatively out of ideas. A deep cross comes in, the, 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 the 10th consecutive deep cross, an attempted clearance and it's one of those where as the defender goes to clear it, the attacking player just just gets his toe onto the ball before him so the defender boots the other player's foot. A painful one, a definite penalty and Mo Salah, uh, it was a penalty that he hit to get Egypt to a World Cup and it was something like it took four minutes to get the penalty taken because of the the, the fans ran onto the pitch, it was bedlam and it was similar stuff here. He kept his composure, smashed it in off the post uh, and that was uh, Egypt uh, avoiding defeat but a draw against Mozambique, certainly negative. I'd say Jurgen Klopp was wondering hmm. mm, maybe if they lost it wouldn't be a bad thing to get him back sooner. The other one to mention is Ghana and Cape Verde. Um, 
Roberto Lopez is the centre half for Shamrock Rovers. He has a Cape Verdean father. He's um, Irish by by uh, he was born in Ireland, etc., etc. He plays for Cape Verde, and it's a great story. He's playing against the likes of Mo Salah and players like this, um, and then going back to play League of Ireland for Shamrock Rovers. So a lot of people are following that. On the other side of this game against Ghana, uh, Chris Hewton, the former Irish fullback and um, uh, Irish coach, Brighton manager, Newcastle manager, and apparently rumoured to potentially be the replacement for Stephen Kenny. He's managing the Ghanaians. He's got Ghanaian descent. Um, but yeah, their form isn't great. And to lose 2-1 to Cape Verde is uh, tantamount to disaster from a Ghana perspective. They've got some really good players. They'll be disappointed with that. Elsewhere, the hosts beat Guinea-Bissau 2-0. That's Ivory Coast. Nigeria were held one all by Equatorial Guinea and in the Asian Cup, no major surprises. Australia beat India. Scoreless between China and Tajikistan. Uzbekistan drew with Syria. Japan probably favourites for the tournament. 4-2 winners over Vietnam. At the United Arab Emirates beat Hong Kong. And Iran beat Palestine. Palestine obviously uh, playing for more than just the sporting prestige in this one. Uh, so you just hope that um, that tournament can channel some positivity towards um, their supporters. Let's move on to golf. Rory McIlroy returning to competition for the first time this year and his performance in Dubai mixed the good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> the brain fart. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he started the week brilliantly, it must be said. And he does tend to do this in his first tournament back. He's like purged his mind of all the psychological drama of the mm. year previous. And he's fresh and he, he shot a 62. He missed a couple of putts on that round and he could have gone under 60, which is always just an incredible potential thing happening in golf. He started Friday in good form with a pair of birdies. But the eighth hole proved his undoing. He found the water twice in a row off the tee and carded a quadruple bogey. That... um brought him back into the pack essentially and he never got away from them again. He was kind of three, four shots ahead of the field after the first round and if he was able to keep that cushion going into Sunday, he could play conservative, he could miss in the right places and you would back him then to to, to win his first tournament of the of the year. Um, so despite the quadruple bogey, he still should have won the tournament. 67 on Saturday kept him up there. Then seven birdies and two bogeys brought him to the final hole with a one-shot lead over Tommy Fleetwood. And his tee shot was just horrendous, uh, hooked into the water on the left, not even by a small bit, like a complete collapse of technique that speaks to psychological issue there, really. It's not um, it's not a physical thing. I, I'm not a golfing expert, but when you watch McElroy for over a decade, of this is the kind of thing he does have in his locker, unfortunately. Um, he couldn't then recover from that getting into the water by hitting a long iron onto the green and putting that long put. It was a decent put, but he didn't get it. And Tommy Fleetwood, he birdied 17. And then his his winning put was a birdie. It was clutch. It was about 12, 15 feet. And he won the tournament. Not even a playoff for McElroy, uh, who has to console himself with finishing second. You know, so much of golf is a mind game. You're really playing against the course and you're playing against yourself. And I would have thought McElroy probably feels that he beat himself. Yeah, not for the first time that he's made some bad judgment calls and thrown tournaments. No, no, unfortunately. You go back to the Masters, his first Masters he nearly won and he still hasn't won that Masters, Mm. that green jacket. Um, But speaking after the competition, and I suppose naturally he's going to try to put a positive spin on it. Here's Rory putting a positive spin on it. First week back out, I think you're going to expect some of those sloppy mistakes and um, unfortunately for me, those mistakes came at the wrong time. There was still a lot of good stuff in there, but just need to tidy up some of the, uh, some of the edges and if I do that, you know, I, I feel good going into next week. Let's move on to rugby. The four provinces were playing European Cup action. 
Leinster's progression looking pretty serene. That's not the case with the other Irish teams, though. No, it it most certainly isn't. Uh, We'll start off briefly with... uh, Leinster, uh, 43-7 against Stade Francais. I must thank Leinster, Ulster, Connacht uh, and Munster because they uh, helped me teach my eight-year-olds the concept of uh, provincial regions in the country. You know, we're developing geography around uh, what town does she live in, the city, the county, uh, and it's perplexing for her. You know, she's like, what do you mean I live in this place, this place mm, and this mm, place, but mm. I live here. Mm. Um, so at least these guys running around on the pitch gave some physical representation. Uh, there's four of them. Anyway, as you say, Leinster are the ones who are doing very well. They were actually in great form against uh, Francais. They've um, won their games. They they still have a couple to play in the group stages, but they're very much in the knockouts. Caelan Doris uh, is... Uh, going to be one of their most important players when it comes to the knockout stages of the Champions Cup. And um, he was speaking to Ashling O'Reilly uh, after the game about his performance and the impending Six Nations selection. Definitely still not perfect, but um, given our start of the year against Ulster and the disappointment there and then having last weekend off, it's quite a good long build-up into this. Um, and we were very sort of fixated on a good performance and knew it was Luke McGrath's two under caps I wanted to put a special one in for him um, we also love playing here in the Aviva and there was I think 42,000 or something like that um, which is, is pretty cool to have a crowd like that um, so it was an enjoyable one definitely still some things that need to get better line out was a little bit misfiring early on um, but thankfully we got back on script and we have a lot of faith in Ryan Baird or James Ryan who, or whoever is controlling that. So, um, yeah, they got us back on script. And how are you feeling for next week with the Six Nations squad being announced? Is it a time to start a new chapter with Ireland or how do you, do you feel about it? Um, it's exciting, yeah. I think it's Wednesday, isn't it, that it's going to be announced. But we also have a big European game as well, so um, it can't be too much of a distraction. And I think probably over the last few years, our performance with Leinster in that last game hasn't been where it should have been, maybe partly because of the distractions. So um, you always want to go into camp off the back of a good performance. So um, that will be the main focus. But uh, yeah, looking forward to hopefully getting involved there in a couple of weeks as well. And our coverage of the AIL is with thanks to Reynolds Commercials in Athlone. Reynolds Commercials for service, quality, reliability. And you can find them at reynoldscommercials.ie. Um, worth pointing out then the local results in the AIL Buccaneers very very close to getting a double over BlackRock who were riding high in Division 1B of um, the league uh, they were one point ahead going into the closing stages and a late uh, penalty converted by BlackRock uh, gave them a two point win but the losing bonus point takes them off the foot of the table in in, in the standings uh, in Division 2C Tullamore made it back to back wins they beat Bangor and um, they beat them on the road now they beat them in Spollenstown 33-12 to and uh, they're starting to put in a concerted push for promotion and uh, so that's a big positive uh, for them um, yeah it, it, it would they, they, they kind of flagged and ran out of energy towards the end of previous seasons uh, so it looks like they're coming with a, a strong late run in the second half of the season so hopefully that's the case Across the Atlantic finally just give us a summary any key results in American football Yeah the big one I think is the Dallas Cowboys uh, who have been knocked out once again they entered the playoffs with the best regular season record um, with uh, Prescott their uh, I was going to call him an out half a quarterback. We've changed oval uh, sport uh, ball there. Um, he 
he threw a number of intercepts. He didn't do anything like this during the regular season. And there's this thing that people start talking about. It's like McElroy with the Masters mm. or, you know, they, they psychologically seem to struggle. And they had every advantage. They were at home uh, against the Packers who have lost um, their quarterback uh, of many years. Um, however, their, their, their new one's playing very, very well. And um, I think uh, I saw the first half of this. They were, uh, the Cowboys had lost by that stage 20, uh, 27 points to seven. They were down. It finished 48 to 32. Elsewhere, the Kansas City Chiefs, 26-7 winners over Miami Dolphins. The Houston Texans progressed against the Browns. Uh, Detroit Lions were narrow winners over the LA Rams. And Buffalo Bills at the Pittsburgh Steelers is tonight. That was rescheduled. If you thought we're getting inclement weather, the horrendous weather that got that game called off was something to behold. It it was like... um, Hurricane blizzards of fog and ice. Uh, remarkable stuff. But uh, the playoffs continue and it's getting into that really compelling and dramatic phase of American football. So we can start tuning in. I was listening to Will O'Callaghan and Stephen on the inside line yesterday. They were saying how they still refuse to put roofs on many of these mm. stadia. So the snow can still come in. It's a mad sport and they have to be able to steal <laughs> the elements. Well, look, they're... Uh, they're playing in such like the playoffs are in that period of the year where you would think it's not a bad idea to to get it indoors or whatever. But um, I enjoy the drama of the outdoors definitely. Anyway, David, thank you very much. More sport here on Midlands 103 at one o'clock or always at midlands103.com. We're already putting the next Midlands Today show together. Get your topic included. Email midlandstoday at midlands103.com. Hmm. Some good positive reports about Rory Cowan on Dancing with the Stars last night. Magella saying it was a much better performance and less energetic seemed to suit him. And did you see Eileen Dunn starting off behind the news desk, throwing her papers into the sky and then both legs over the desk and straight down onto the floor? It was... Uh, Night number two of this year's Dancing with the Stars. No eliminations once again, but that all changes next week. Father Ray Kelly is watching for us. Morning, Ray. Morning, Will. How are you today? I'm in great form, thank you. So, thoughts from last night. What stood out? Uh, Yeah, a lot of them had increased their voting, like you said there already, about uh, Rory. He went up by three points, himself and Gillian, so... uh, the biggest increase, I think, was Rosanna and Stephen. They went up by about six points from 17 to 23. So, yeah, a few of them went down. There was a couple of sickies, Karen and Karen and Kylie, who was dancing with me. They were both out sick, so uh, their dancing partners, the celebrities, had to switch fairly quickly. And obviously, I think poor Davy Russell was a bit thrown by that. Davy was absolutely yeah, because he he dropped a few points on that. But uh, you know, you see, it's hard as well. I mean. In our, when we were in it, there, there is an official switch off switch week, which may happen in this show, I don't know, where you get your, a, a different partner, but you know a week in advance. Whereas Davey probably, and I think um, who, who else switched, was it Shane or somebody? Jason actually had to switch as well. Uh, they only got, they had their dance routine done by their official dancers, and then they had to switch to a new partner. And the new partner had to learn the dance, obviously, fairly quickly, you know. So it's difficult enough, yeah, it's difficult enough because it knocks you off, it throws you off completely, you know. Although in fairness to Davey, he still scored 15, which was down, but that's yeah. above Eileen Dunn, for instance. She was 13, so everything in context. 
yeah, Eileen was, I think, down a bit as well. And, and uh, But, you know, some of them are up, some of them are down. It's, it's just the way it goes, you know. That's the way it's going to be. Next week, we'll really throw the... The, uh, the the apple into the cart really when we see the first elimination and it's an awful experience for the first person to be actually eliminated you know so based on the first two weeks who is perhaps going to feel the heat well it's hard to know because they always reckon that the ones in the like I think Rory Cowan will probably be there till week eight or week nine because he's a comedian and he's just enjoying it so much and just such a laugh you know and I think the audience people will vote for the only thing is if he's in the bottom two now when it starts, he'd have to do be in a dance-off. And if he's in the dance-off, definitely the judges will, will probably throw him off then, you know. But as long as he escapes the dance-off, which probably won't start for about uh, another two or three weeks, you know. Well, I thought last night, was it the Venetian Waltz? Is that the name of it? The Venetian Waltz for... For, um... for Rory. Oh, that's yeah, for, that's for Amore. Rory. Yeah, that's right. that's yeah, Amore. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. when you watch his his partner she's 21 and full of yeah. beans and yeah, last yeah. week there was a huge contrast in energy between the two of yeah, them exactly yeah. yeah that gentle sway of the waltz that complemented him far more because there was less of an obvious difference between the two either in age in energy and ability um, yeah, exactly. yeah and i yeah, think the yeah. judges were more positive towards him as well possibly yeah possibly the slower dancers um when you get to 64, I was 64, 65 when I was doing it. So when you get to that age, you prefer the slower dancers than, than the faster dancers, believe you me, you know. But anyway, that's, that's the way it goes, you know. Although I heard Brian still being Brian and saying, well, the longer it went on, the more you slipped down into the waistcoat. It was more like the Notre <laughs> Dame waltz. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brian is always something unusual comments, all right, you know. But I, look, at it. it's, it's early days yet. It's early days yet. It's hard to call it. Be too early to call it, definitely, yes. Certainly, whatchamacallum, the guy from um, David, is it David and Salome? They did the Charleston last night. David was up one, I think he got 23 last week, he was 24 this week. He's the guy from the, the boy band at some of the Eurovision last year. Um, and uh, he's certainly leading the, the leading the scoring at the moment over the two weeks anyway. You yeah, know. David Whelan, Wild Youth is the band. Wild Youth, that's it, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And again, as you said, there was a bit of an injury, I think, uh, Salome's shoulder. Um, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah so yeah. look, you'll get that. At the end of oh, the day, yeah. it is a physical activity. It, oh, it is it. live week to week in the sense that, yeah. you know, if somebody picks up an injury, it is going to be reflected next Sunday. Yeah, and there's always the like risk of a bug or a, yeah, something else doing the rounds are, as well. We're talking now, those guys are in probably training today or practicing uh, from about 10 o'clock this morning and, uh, to, you know, breaks and that kind of thing to go on for four or five this evening. And that's five, six days a week now until, until the live show as well, you know. Then in, in between all that, there's the, the filming of the, the, videos, the video slots that they do as well. There's all that going on as well. So there's a lot going on for them. And it's, it's, it is full time, there's no doubt about it and full energy you know well it's a bit of harmless fun and on this Blue Monday that's exactly what we need Father Ray thanks very much take care Will have a good day bye God bless Father Ray Kelly who performed in Dancing with the Stars himself back in 2020 and these days you'll find him in Kilcormack in County Offaly now if you're around for drive time this week and you're a fan of electric transport, Roy Jennings has a fantastic high-tech eco-flying e-bike worth more than €800. 
and this can be yours thanks to Electric Scooters Limited in Tullamore with a range of e-scooters, e-bikes and they do all the parts and repairs. eScootersIreland.eu for more details or else drive time with Roy Jennings from 3 o'clock. That's where we leave it today. Thanks to Shannon Fogarty for putting it all together. We're back on your radio tomorrow morning from 9. Take care. Bye-bye.